Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Today's guest on the podcast is Erin Merrill. Erin is from Maine. She's an outdoor writer, works for non-profits, became a hunter when she was 20, and was able to kill her first moose this year. Oh, and she's also a part of the Blood Origins team. Kick back, check it out, and let us know what you think. Thanks. All right, folks, here we are. Another episode of the Blood Origins podcast that Robbie has let me go off and try it on my own and see if it's entertaining to people or if I don't, if I mess it up. He, he always has wonderful critiques. I love your critiques after my podcast, Robbie. So uh, just a heads up of how much I enjoy those. Um, today we have Aaron Merrill, Aaron, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. Like, tell us about yourself. I don't want to, I don't want to describe you. Tell us about yourself. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe I do want you to describe me instead. Um, (laughs) I, Aaron lives in Maine. What else is there about you, Aaron? (laughs) I am an outdoor writer. I started hunting when I was 20. So I'm sort of a adult onset hunter maybe um 
and just I'm a really big advocate of if I'm gonna write about it I want to do it so I learned how to bear hunt when Maine had um, the referendum in 2014 so that I could authentically write about it um, I've learned how to trap so I can write about trapping um, and I just really like sharing the experiences with other people I think it's it's one of the I don't know, most fun things that I can think of is just sitting down and having a conversation about a hunt, be it a moose, a bear, a deer, you know, there are all these things that connect us. How, uh, so 20 doesn't maybe, doesn't seem like maybe you grew up in it. Did, did you grow up in it or did you, like, how, how did you start hunting at 20? So it was not uncommon for my sister and I to come home, open the fridge and see like a deer heart floating in water. Um, so, you know, my dad always hunted my grandparents, my grandfather's hunt. And it was sort of an act of rebellion against a guy that I was dating at the time. He and his family were anti-hunting. And I knew that what my dad was doing was not wrong. You know, we were eating the meat. He's an ethical hunter. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to push back, I want to be able to, to be authentic and to talk about my own personal experiences. Um, and so dad let me follow him through the woods and I was given a set of antlers to rattle. And I remember I called in a little crotch horn. He asked if I wanted him to shoot it. And I said, yes. And that was the end of it. That, that got me hooked. Right. That's the, that's maybe the greatest motivation, the act of rebellion against <laughs> the, uh, against the boyfriend and family who are anti hunters. That's incredible. I love that. <laughs> What, uh, what, what's a favorite, so I've hunted Maine a couple of times. Um, I think it's a, like the people in the, in the topography of Maine are a really, really unique thing. Um, yes, we are. you know, I, I mean, every, every state is unique. I don't want to make any claims, but, uh, Maine is, uh, Maine's got every type of people ever, you know, <laughs> all the way from flag waving tree huggers to, you know, complete and utter hermits that, you know, people haven't seen them for years coming out of the mountains um, and beautiful country. That's very much parts of Maine are very much like Colorado, just, you know, 6,000 feet lower. Right. Um, it's like, it's like you're in the mountains, but you still have all the oxygen that you need. Maybe yeah. why I like Maine so much. Um, what's your, what's your favorite? What do you, what do you get the most excited for to go do in Maine? Oh, I love all of it. Um, you know, it's the chance, really, if you're not afraid of driving for a few hours, you can be on the ocean or you can be up in the Western Mountains. You can be in Portland or even Boston's not that far away. Or you can be in no man's land up, you know, in Aroostook County at the top of the state. Um, but it's so it's like you said, every part of it is unique. So it depends on what you want to do. Um, I worked on the ocean running a boat for five years when I was in college. I did one of the nature cruise boats and there's nothing better in the dead of summer than being on the ocean. At the same time, I'm a big fan of sitting in the woods on a perfect fall day and just parking my butt for 12 hours, hoping I get a chance at a deer. Incredible amount of diversity. Maine's also always been a conundrum to me that it's never really it's never really in the conversation a lot of people that leave their own state to go hunt, you know, 
I mean, is that and, and I, I don't want to say I'm not saying anything negative. I right. love hunting Maine. Gigantic whitetails, great black bear hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really good, uh, some incredible fishing. There's some, I mean, like like world class. Like it's really really good. I yeah. I wonder what. Uh, you know, maybe is it just the kind of out there so far on its own that it doesn't cross people's minds, maybe? Maybe. You know, it's, I think we get overlooked because you can hunt black bear in other spots. You can, well, I don't know. I'm a bit, I'm partial to our moose hunting. Um, we don't have the big, it's interesting. I interview folks that are shooting big bucks um, and they'll talk about however many inches the antlers are and it's totally lost on me because we gauge deer by how much they weigh right so you know we're we're pulling out 200 pound deer from the woods but i can't equate that to what a 200 inch buck looks like i know it's a massive buck but in my mind i have nothing to compare it to but if you tell me a 200 pound buck i know exactly how big that is that's a, that's a, you, you have, you have bucks that are bigger than 200 pounds too. I, I was there two years ago with a friend in muzzleloader season and he shot just a spike on the last day of it, just, just to put some meat in the freezer. And, you know, there's a lot of places that you shoot a spike, you know, maybe a year and a half old buck and you, you can literally pick it up and throw it over your shoulder. And it, it kicked our butts in two foot of snow, dragging this thing out of there. It was a gigantic deer for the age that the the antlers were telling me that it was. Right. And yeah, but Maine, and I've seen some big, um, you know, a little bit different kind of horn growth, maybe of not the length, mm-hmm. right? You see like some, you see a lot of Maine bucks with big, thick Maine beams, but then their, but then their antlers only go a few short inches up, you right. know, which, which. I, I do understand inches and that hurts it, right? If someone is an inch guy, that, that hurts it a lot. That's where you get your points is in that time length. Um, but still there's big bucks up there. I've seen big, big horn bucks and it's a really unique, one of the few places in the country. I don't want to say the only one because I haven't thought through this yet. One of the few places in the country that I know of where white tails really have like a migratory pattern. Right. Like the, the white, like most places in the country that are whitetail hunting, you know, a deer, unless it's spooked or really scared, will live within the same couple of square miles its entire life. Yeah. Um, and the, the weather in Maine, you know, drives them down. We were, you know, in the wildest, not the wildest, we were in a really remote part of Maine and we went essentially right up next to some neighborhoods. Because that's where all of the deer had gone um, to get food when the when the snow really really came. Are you? Um, I don't know where you're at in Maine. Are you in a big snow part of Maine or the north, the south? I'm sort of in central Maine, so I'm about an hour north of Portland, but I'm also about an hour north of or hour south of Bangor, so I'm right around Augusta. Um, but I I went out with the bio, with the deer biologist a couple years ago, and we collared deer. And so then they can go in and they can track how far they've gone. And there are some doe that will do a 75 mile loop between winter and summer and then back to their winter yards. So it is, it's fascinating to see where they're going. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a thing that those of us um, like, like here in Colorado, we're used to our, our uh, 
mule deer and our elk are, are not in the same spot during the summer as they are in the winter. It's not an uncommon thing. Somebody will correct me. I'm, I'm not trying to sound like an authority on this because I'm probably not thinking of something, but I don't know anywhere else in the country where whitetails have that kind of legitimate migratory pattern. So it's a unique way of hunting. Um, not a lot of hunting. Maine's kind of a paradise, man. I, I, this little shout out to folks that want to try a new place to hunt. Not difficult to get uh, certain tags. You know, I mean, I mean you, you, you can just buy a, a tag. Right, right. You know, um, and yeah, and then the I've I've hunted in a lot. I've hunted a lot. I've never hunted moose, but I've hunted in a, a lot of species in places where there are moose and seen moose. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as much. As I saw, like, there's a lot of moose in Maine. Right. I mean, like, you know, you see them up in Idaho and it's kind of a stop and you're in awe and shock. And, you know, multiple multiple days in Maine seeing three or four moose just going to the bear stand. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, at least where we're at, I, I can't speak for the entire state. But anyway, there's we're done. The Maine Tourism Department, you can send a check to Boat Horses. <laughs> It's a great place, and you should seriously check it out. Deer, turkeys, bear, yeah, um, and then yeah. obviously moose. Not not easy, not an easy thing. You uh, you you lucked out this year, right? I did. In the draw. I had, had twenty one points going into the year, and the way that so if you're not a resident of Maine, you can buy however many points, which is basically how many chances you want right. at the lottery. If you're a Maine resident, you get one a year. And you just sort of hope and pray that you get drawn at some point. Um, so I had 21 points going into this year's season. I got drawn. And then my dad and I headed uh, basically to Canada, turned around and started hunting. Um, so we were up in the Allagash for the September season. And it was five days and change of, of chasing a decent bull. Um, on a deal like that, just you and your dad, do you, do, do residents get a guide? Is that a thing or how, how does that work? Um, a lot of them don't. I did because I didn't, there was no way we were going to be able to go out and scout. We weren't going to be able to know where to go because it's so far from where we typically hunt. If it had been someplace closer to like our home territory, we might not have gotten a guide. Um, but I, I did cause I didn't want to risk not getting a moose. I wanted to take his, take as many chances, um, not chances, as, as like put as much as I could towards actually getting my moose. Sure. You know, so yeah, I hire yeah. a guide. I'm going to do, I, I was working out and training. So I'd be ready to just hike all those choppings. Um, I was putting everything I had into it. No, and absolutely. There's no, uh, there's no reason for justification there when it's a, you know, a, a once or a twice or a maybe three times in a lifetime type of thing. Um, and the, the the point system in Maine, like for non-residents, it's not a true preference point, right? Like it's just, it's not that all the people with 20 points get their tag before the people with 19. It's just like how many times your name is thrown in the hat, right? Right. Right. So you could, I mean, it's possible that you could draw a moose tag next year. I got to wait three years, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I absolutely could. And there are people that have. My brother-in-law, I think, has been drawn three times. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, uh, 
it's a cool <laughs> it's a cool system if it works out for you and it's a crappy system if it doesn't you know right. one of those deals like right. you get drawn three out of ten or with the spacing yeah. in there you get drawn three out of 15 years it's a great system but you could also go 45 years and absolutely. not run. absolutely yeah. and if you i think it's 65 or 70 like once you hit that age if you have not been drawn and you've been putting in for however many years they just give you one that's cool so, i like it <laughs> I like that somebody took the time to make that a rule. That's right. a good rule. That's good bureaucracy in action right there. <laughs> exactly. So what, uh, you're, you're writing, you're outdoor writing. What, what kind of stuff do you do there? What, who do you write for? So I have my website, which is andastrongcupofcoffee.com. I started that um, right about the time I actually started hunting with my dad, just to chronicle what I was doing. And talk about, you know, random tree stands that I found or different trail camera photos or just basically it was like a brain dump for everything that I was going through and processing. And um, so that's been really fun. I write for the Northwood Sporting Journal. I have a monthly column there that just whatever I happen to want to talk about, it could be highlighting another hunter. It could be one of my hunts. It could be, you know, ideas for Christmas you name it. Um, and then I write for Drury Outdoors. I write for their DeerCast app um, and I'm a senior writer there. So I focus on different articles that will have a broad um, attraction to hunters from you know Colorado, Maine, Missouri. Uh, but I also interview a lot of people that shoot just huge deer. And so that's really fun because it has me calling these people and just getting like geeking out with them about what it was like to shoot this huge buck and if they had history with it, um, what went into the hunt. You know, some people talk about just the panic that they went through, the remorse, not not remorse, but just the sadness after a couple of years of chasing this deer, then they finally did it. And right. so you know, you're super excited, but you're also like, oh my God, I did it. And I killed this amazing animal, but I'm really excited. And um, it's just, it's a great chance to, connect with other people in the hunting community. So it's really fun. I love that to pull one snippet out of there. I love that. I love the stories of, I saw this deer when he was two or I got him on trail cam when he was two, you know, and it wasn't, wasn't, you, you could tell he was distinctive. He was big at two, but he wasn't quite, he wasn't a mature. And now I'm five years into it. You know, those are, those are the crazy, uh, some of the greatest rebukes in my mind for people that hunters are just about killing also kind of a positive note in terms of trophy hunting, right? Yeah. Like kind of a positive out, like, like that's a, that's the ultimate trophy, right? Like a trophy that you're, that, that you, you know, you got a relationship with that, right. that you've worked for four or five years. And, and some of those guys, you know, I'm a, I'm the world's worst tree stand hunter. Like if you want me to be happy in a blind or a stand by myself, this is, this is horrible, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm way too old for this to be true, but I better have cell phone service so right. I can play a video game or something. Right? right. Like I get, I just get antsy. Um, you know, make, I, I lie to myself that I have to pee. So I can, so I can go move around a little bit and I don't even really have to go, you know, those kind of things. But some of these guys that, that 
you know, and I know them. It's not just them telling stories. I, I know guys that are in Kansas for sure that are 45, 50 days, you know, mm-hmm. in the tree stand and in there for three hours in the morning before they go to work and in there for two hours at night after work and then the entire weekend. And, you know, they're married to saints who, you know, are just essentially making the entire household function at home because they're there, not there to help at all. Yep. And I, I don't know. I, I love those stories. I also just as much love the freak accident story. You know, the guy that yeah. was walking into a brand new piece of property that he'd never been on and thought he was just scouting and something And this monster stands up in front of him. But uh, those, uh, those long drawn out journeys with a single animal are, are, pretty cool experiences yeah it's hard in, in Colorado it's so much public land hunting um that you really got to burn some calories to get to a spot where you can do that right yeah. um and plus it's totally different with elk and mule deer they just don't um they they don't have a home you know near as much that some of them do but not near as much as a whitetail does that right. you can hunt like that but no, that would be cool, cool to call those people and talk to them like that. It is. It's fantastic. And it's just, it's, it's interesting. I had a friend of mine yesterday um, send me a photo of a buck that he has on it. He, like, he just happened to look out back and see this monster buck. And so he snapped a grainy cell phone picture and sent it to me. It was like, hey, I've lived here for 10 years. I've never seen a buck in the back lawn, but look what I got. It is a massive, massive deer. And so I posted it on my social media and one of my friends sent me a message and he's like, I'm hunting that buck. Like I had said from last year, I know exactly where he is. Like I will get that buck because our muzzle loading season ends Saturday. Right. So so like my friend is just driven to get this deer. Meanwhile, my non-hunting friend is like, oh, look how awesome this is. (laughs) You realize how big that buck is? small world is that the one you posted on uh, i I think i saw it on your instagram maybe yeah yeah and so i tell my friend like all right you have the shed i want to see it and then if you actually do shoot this deer you need to call me so i can like just put my hands on it yeah that's another that's another really a cool another cool aspect of that obviously with with ungulates is is the sheds we i ran an outfitting business in kansas um and we had a customer take a deer one time and quite honestly, we just really liked him or we would not have done this, but we were able to send the year priors matching sheds the year before that's matching sheds and one shed from the year before that home with the hunter. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and that w- was one of my favorite things about outfitting was, was, you know, learning like the individual animals and yeah. it's, and it's so, I think whitetails are the ultimate example of that where you can, you know, by the time they're about two, their, their horns have a, have a look to them that in some form is going to kind of carry through, or you find a, you find a good scar or something, you know, where you can, and uh, especially when we were outfitting seriously, we would, you know, we would be very strict about, about herd management. And so a lot of times if you found them at two, we weren't letting anybody hunt them until they, you know, for four years and uh, great, great experience. I, I love that kind of stuff. I miss it a little bit here in Colorado because the animals are just, they just move. They're, the country's so much bigger, you know, Yeah. but. Uh, well, and it's really uncommon here 
to actually sure. find a shed that matches the deer that you're seeing on your camera repeatedly because they travel so far between sure. the winter yards and where they are in the summer and even the fall that you know you rarely if ever hear about people that have two or three years worth of sheds for a particular deer well they're probably moving back i again i may show some ignorance because i don't know my main whitetail right migration data but they're probably only in the area where they drop their sheds with their horns on for a short like that's probably about the movement time right like the right. move back to the to the mountains time um so where they drop their sheds you're not gonna you're not gonna catch them they may they may have three days before that been 35 miles away you know like, right, exactly. it's, it's a crazy it's a crazy situation huge body too like it my my brain thinks that if deer that move around that much but man the deer in oh they're huge in uh, maine are massive so you also uh you have another little you're a you're a uh, woman of many occupations and you have another you have another little one here as of uh what i guess six eight eight months i don't know how long it's been it doesn't matter that you've been helping us out at blood origins what uh how did i i know the answer to this question but how did that uh how did that come to be did you know about blood origins prior um what's what, what how'd that come to be so i actually learned about blood origins through the story that Robbie did with Britt Longoria because she's from Maine. And right. so I was like, Hey, Maine girl, me too. And so we started chatting and that's what got me sort of initially connected with blood origins and then just starting to see the content and talk to Robbie and, um, it went from there. Well, you're definitely, uh, a big piece of the glue that holds us together. Robbie and I are, um, I admit it. Robbie denies it. We're, we're both pretty. We're both pretty scatterbrained and chase squirrels. Um, I, I personally, I, I truly believe this. It sounds very much like an excuse for my undisciplined behavior. But I, I think Blood Origins is what it is because of our flexibility and our ability to jump on a thing um, and make it happen, or stop it from happening, or let the world know about it really, really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, at the same time regularly scheduled you know disciplined tasks that we we should be doing we both are terrible at it robbie robbie will deny that and tell you it's not true um, <laughs> I've, I've uh matured to a level of just admitting my faults i think and trying to get better at it but that's uh it's been a huge help tell me uh one question i always just want to ask everyone in this situation why do you hunt like if someone, if someone, you met someone, I'm not talking about an argumentative situation, yeah. but someone just at a, at a, at a dinner says, why do you hunt to you? What's your answer? I usually I end up at the, I have two little kids and I want to be able to fill my freezer with food that I know how the animal died. So it's either me pulling the trigger it's um going to a friend that has a farm that we'll get cow from going to my aunt that has pigs and get half a pig um, i'm really big on removing the middleman so if that means i'm sitting out in my tree stand 12 hours a day during deer season that's what it means um 
it's learning and talking about conservation and being able to talk about uh, population control. We, I, where I am in central Maine, we typically never had bear on our trail cameras in the past two years we have. And the guy that works for my dad put a bait site out and had two sows, each with twins, and then got a boar. So as I think about the state and where our highest bear numbers are, they're slowly encroaching in more populated areas. And a bear that's killed in Augusta or Bangor or Portland is not going to be eaten. You know, it's, it's going to be a big PR thing. Oh, no, there's a bear in town. The bear gets killed. It may get donated. It may not. I want to be in the woods paying the state for the opportunity to kill a bear so that I can eat it. I don't want to see that bear get hit by a car or, um, you know, God forbid we have CWD or something come into our deer herd. You know, I'm big on population management. I'm big on feeding my family organic meat. Um, and so those are like my two biggest, biggest go-tos. Um, I also have two young kids. So it's nice to just go sit in the woods by myself. <laughs> right. <and> be quiet. <laughs> right. In, in the woods, right? Like that's the, the big thing for me is, and I, I'm a hiker. Yeah. Um, most, I mean, admittedly when I'm hiking anywhere, I'm, you know, I, I probably miss some scenery because I'm looking for tracks and scat mm -hmm. and stuff, but, um, I'm, I might be partially scouting even when we're on a family hike into a place that I'll never hunt. I'm, I'm, but the, the in the woods as opposed to looking at the woods is something I've never been able being a part of nature mm -hmm. as opposed to observing nature um, is always kind of one of my go-to answers when someone asks that, um, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go to Africa and sit on a double decker bus right. and, 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 uh, and it's not, no, it doesn't matter. People that don't believe this won't believe this. It's not because I want to kill something. No. Um, it's because I want to be a part of the process. I want to be in nature and not observing nature. Um, and and I there's, can... something, there's something magical about, like, we go into our stands when it's dark. So you're sitting there, and the world's quiet, and then you get to observe everything waking up. So it's the first light. It's the birds. It's, you know, the squirrels you're you're suddenly it's all around you and you're part of it like you said and i think people who don't hunt or are not in the woods often they miss out on that you know there, it's like this magical thing that happens every morning and unless you're sitting out there you don't fully comprehend what that feels like or what that is right and no one that's just going to look at pretty things is dumb enough to be out there an hour before the sun comes up, right? I mean, like, why, 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 why would you? It doesn't make any sense. Um, no, that that's the, that's the that's a much more articulate definition of me saying I want to be in it instead of observing it, and it's one of my biggest factors. Um, meat is a huge thing for me as well. Um, I don't really. I'm honestly not that healthy of a part. Like I, I eat and and drink to what i enjoy and, and I'm, I'm it's not a it's not a great big health thing for me not that not that that's not true it's just not my personal motivation my, my personal motivation in the meat is i really and truly just want to i'm also not an apocalyptic prepper i mean 
but it just but I do want to know that in the deepest just mm-hmm. core of things that my family needs to survive that I could do that um and that's that's uh weirdly important to me I don't know it's weirdly important to me to prove that to myself every year I I weirdly would almost have failed this year I have had a lot of blown opportunities hunting um but the freezer's full of mule deer and so so that's that's a that's a real thing for me I don't think we deal with it enough because I think there's some kind of someone wants to try to attach what I just said to like a toxic masculinity thing and and it's just bullshit it's it's not what I just want to know I could take care of the people that that uh and that's part of it for me as well but it really is that I've done just about everything you can do in the outdoors, right? I mean, like ski, stand up, paddleboard, fish, hike, everything, bird watch. I got this, I'm on this weird hummingbird kick that's making me feel weird about myself and I'm studying <laughs> hummingbirds. I'm watching them strange, but there's, there's just no way that I feel like I'm actually a part of it more so than when I'm out there with a purpose right. Um, right. hunting film. So. You know, it was amazing this year. My dad and I both shot deer the same day, same morning. So we were out there gutting it and a, a third buck was coming at us. And so I just like yelled, you know, I was like, dad, get up, dad, get up, stand, stand. And so he and I are standing there over these two deer and we were, just, the, the other buck had no idea we were there. And so we just stood there for probably 15 minutes watching him. And it like, you're on the same plane as this, animal and they're beautiful and you're watching them you know walk around we were just sort of waiting to see at what point he would scent us and he walked all the way around i think he was probably smelling my bag and eventually he got to a point where he either winded us or the guts and the deer and he just sort of turned and headed back to where he came from it's like that's just so cool right (laughs) you as you're standing there bringing in your own deer but you're just you're there watching them and it's amazing and it's so much fun. And you just, I don't know, we geek out about stuff like that. And it's not, like you said, it's not about killing the animal. It's, you know, you're watching it. You're right there. You're in the woods. I don't know. We love yeah, it. You're, That's why we do yeah, it. You're, you're, you're a part of it. Yeah. You're, you're a, and you're a, you're a 300,000 year old natural part of it, right? right? Like human beings have been a part of that cycle of life there's this i don't know uh somebody's going to give me grief for bringing up steven ranella but there's this youtube clip of steven ranella um he's sitting in a bookstore like doing a book reading of one of his books have you ever seen this clip Mm-mm. and this guy challenges him this guy's like why would you want to kill these beautiful animals um and i'll i'll ma- again i'm going to massacre this because it was good but it wasn't good enough for me to memorize it but he basically breaks down that in the 300,000 years of human beings, you know, of, of on earth, um, it's only been about the last three or 400 years that people contemplated not right. hunting. Right. Right. That people thought maybe we shouldn't, you know, in whatever minute fraction of one tenth of 1% of human history and Ranella looks at him and says, you're the unnatural one. You're, yeah. you're, the, you're, you're the one that's not doing what the earth and mother nature intended for human beings to do. Um, and that, that, you know, it's whatever 
not some kind of a declaration of faith in Steven Ranella or whatever. I, I think the guy's a, a great hunter. And, mm-hmm. But that statement to me is the absolute best yeah. um, response that I've ever heard. And I've, I've butchered it a lot of times trying to copy it, but that's, that's what it is for me is, is, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I didn't mean to hijack your answer, but. Oh, no, I, no, no. I, I and I think just, it's, it's sad to think that, and that's one of the things that I'm really big on is teaching my kids about hunting and where our food comes from. And maybe, maybe they'll be like me and they won't actually want to go hunting until they're older, but I never want them to question the ethics behind it or why we do it. So, you know, that if I'm out in the stand and I come home with an animal, we're going to eat that animal. Right. I remember my son was in preschool. I think he was probably three. And, and we came in on a Monday and his teacher said, you know, how's it going? What did you do this weekend? And like straight face, like it was no big deal. He's like, oh, we, uh, mama got a deer and I ate the heart. And he walked off and I just got like this look. It's like, well, it's true. I did go hunting. I did get a deer. He did eat the heart. It's it's not unnormal, you know. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's and again to tie back to the Ranella thing. Yeah. It's actually the most normal. Right. It's it's actually the way it was meant to be. It's actually how we be a part of. You know, here's the, here's a like a weird, really weird. Here's a conundrum to me that I'm going to change subjects slightly. Okay. Like if you talk about indigenous people, mm-hmm. I was going to say Native Americans, but it's really every indigenous people in, in on every continent in the world and them using every part of the animal and, you know, eating nothing but organic meat and all, all the things. If you talk mm-hmm. about indigenous people in hunting, like – 99.9% of the world is like, man, that's so awesome. Right. Right? Like, it's so awesome that they they eat the heart and they did this and they, you know, they did some kind of a kind of, it, it, it was spiritual. Right. right. Absolutely. But not, <laughs> if, if any of us, if, this is not a, this is not a skin color thing. No. Any, any of us that live anywhere other than where our ancestors lived a thousand years ago mm-hmm. are wrong for that exact same right. thought process. Right. Right. The indigenous people, at least in North America, the majority of indigenous people in the world now have access to a grocery, to the same grocery stores chain, like, right. Like there's, there's, there's a Kroger on the reservation or next to it or close to it or around it. Um, why is that? Why, why is, why is that? It doesn't make any sense to me. No. And it's interesting. So we have the Wabanaki here in Maine and they are able to do a spring bear hunt, which, you know, residents can't do. Um, and they also get tags for moose. And so it's interesting because they're, it's for the same sort of reasons, you know, it's still going back to their reliance on not reliance, but their want to be out there hunting and being able to provide for the people that they live with. Um, and so it's really interesting. And I, I'm guilty of keeping lots of pieces of the animals that I kill. So I have a whole like skull collection and I have the, the um, hides done up 
and I've done talks with like women's groups and I'm bringing in the skulls and I'm bringing in the hides and they are loving all of it because they're, they're just so disconnected from it. And then like from this weird maternal, I don't even know what to think that like a mother created the skull. I don't know. I don't know where I like it, where it sort of stems from my brain, but you know, it's just this weird, I don't know. I have coyote and bear and porcupine and uh, gray fox, red fox, uh, fisher. Like, I just have a lot of really cool skulls. And so then I bring in the hides, and it's a way to educate people as much as anything else. You just you just provided – this was completely unscripted. But my next, my next subject matter is to ask you this question. Okay. Are you, Aaron, a trophy hunter? I am a trophy hunter in that my little spike horn that I shot for my first deer is mounted on my wall. So some people would consider that absolutely not a trophy, but to me it is. And I like to keep, I like to keep just pieces of the hunt to remind me of the experience as well as help others understand this is what, a, you know, this is what a beaver pelt feels like and how cool that our country was basically founded on the beaver trapping trade, you know, and just so it ties it back into our ancestors and hunting and the importance of it and conservation. And I don't know, I geek out about all that stuff. So like, am I out? Have I, have I ever had the willpower to sit in my stand waiting for a big buck? No. I will fill my freezer and fill my tag before anything else. But did you on your moose hunt? I shot the first moose I could. <laughs> okay. 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 But you have, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing annoying Robbie leading on without getting to the point. Um, I, I'm on this kind of quest. This is not a, a necessarily a unified – it's not an ununified either. Robbie and I just haven't really completely discussed it out yet. I'm, I'm on a quest to – I hate changing terminology mm -hmm. for the sake of feelings, right? Like I when I go hunting, I think that if I if – I, I'm perfectly fine if you say the word harvest. Mm -hmm. I have zero judgment of you. Unless you say the word harvest because you're scared to say the word kill right. or you're trying to diminish the fact that you killed, mm -hmm. right? I say the word killed. Yeah. I, I killed a mule deer two weeks ago. Um, and I think that's kind of important, not from the sense of, okay, also part of me just despises political correctness for the sake of political correctness. But a part of me thinks if you start softening that, yeah, that you it, it's it's a it's a uh, momentous thing, it's a real thing, mm -hmm. it's a it's a thing that happens, um, and so, but we've had we've had that kill harvest discussion so many times that we were both just like okay, we're done talking about this, but the, but I, I think that next phrase on my mind is trophy hunter, um, and I think that you and I think that I are trophy hunters we just need to inform people that a it's not our main motivation right 
And B, it may be our fifth or sixth motivation. It may be a motivation after the whole thing is done. And I'm like, holy crap, I want to keep this, right? Um, anyway, I'm on this quest to not give up. Like, there's so many people out there that are like, we got to stop calling people trophy hunters. And no, we don't. No, we don't. We have to, we have to inform the uninformed of what we are as people who keep a memento from the experience. Absolutely. Right? You know, it's interesting. So I I wrote a blog post about my bear that I took this year and I tracked it. So that in and of itself is a controversial subject because although people are not educated around what it means to be a trapper and what goes into setting a trap, running a trap line, how you're able to get a bear, not get a bear, not catch a lynx. And so I posted it and I got a a note from um, a family member that was just like, I'm so disappointed in you. Like, I thought you were better than this. Uh, What sport is it that you just walked up to this bear and shot it? And I thought about it. I was like, well, I didn't actually walk up to it and shoot it, but that's besides the point. The fact is, every time we go out into the woods, if we are hunting, our ultimate goal is to kill an animal. Right. It's not that we're out... Just, I mean, we people might just go out and sit in the woods, but if you pick up a rifle or a bow and you go into the woods, your ultimate goal is to kill something. So it doesn't matter how you do it as long as it's legal and ethical, but that's our goal every time. So, you know, when he, when he was just like, I'm so disappointed, it's like, I don't care. I ended up, (laughs) I ended up with a bear that I legally trapped and I will be eating it and enjoying it. And it's delicious. Right. And, and I'm, also, integrally, inter- deeply, because I can't say integrally, yep. involved in, uh, in, 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 in conserving that population, conserving that yeah. animal. Um, I'm, I'm involved in it. You're sitting out on the outskirts judging while doing no good for anyone that is involved in the process. Right. Um, it's a great, great thing in life to truly get to that point. That if you're when you if you're going to say something uninformed and ignorant to insult me, yeah. I don't care. Right, like, exactly. Like I, I am just going to go back to drawing doodles on this paper. I don't, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't care at all. I'm not going to argue with you. I will send you some facts. Yeah. You know, if you want to, you want to look at facts and learn, I'll help you with that. But if not. I don't right. care. Maybe right. the most powerful words in the English language. Yep. To touch to touch back on the trophy hunting thing, I think there's another really important aspect of that that the classical sense, the people that are being judged when some anti-hunter throws around the word trophy hunting, like the guys that are hunting for big horns. Yep. Um the other thing they don't understand is that that stems from the actual original conservationists, right? The the Boone and Crockett Club, mm-hmm. the Pope and Young Club. Right. And everyone, like I think a giant percentage of the society today thinks of the Boone and Crockett, or a giant percentage of the society that has any awareness that the Boone and Crockett Club exists, literally thinks it's a bunch of old, rich white dudes with cigars and brandy just talking about big horns and they have zero realization that that is a conservation group Mm -hmm. who 
collects data on horns because horns are a very, very good indicator of population health in the the area, right? Like there is a there's a Kansas Boone and Crockett record because biologists are dealing with that data to assess the herd. Uh-huh. And the decision to score old males was a very scientifically based decision that harvesting that animal has the least amount of detriment on the population as a whole moving forward, right? And so when people bash trophy hunters, you know, I want to say to them, you know, first of all, they think that there's that there's a lot of hunters running around shooting animals and then cutting the trophy off of it and leaving the rest of the animal to rot. And really, you know, if they would just Google anything, they would realize completely illegal with any animal in the, in, in, again, I know I can't say this for a fact. I think anywhere in the world that has legalized hunting, right? That does not happen in Africa. Poachers do that. Right, right. Criminal, criminals do that. People that hunting dollars are going towards stopping do that. But hunters just do not do that. Um, and the other thing I say to him a lot is, you know, would you rather have them shoot the, shoot the fawn right. or, or, or shoot the mama with the fawn standing, you know, they're, they're trying to take an animal. Now, first of all, I don't want to argue that there's not some, a little tiny bit of, of bragging rights. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I sent pictures of my mule deer to 15 people knowing that they were going to just maybe have just a little shot twinge of jealousy and we could joke back and forth over it. Right. Yeah. Like that, that happens. We're, we're not going to deny that happens, but the reason that we go out after animals with large trophy elements is because those are 99 times out of a hundred, the mature males in the, in the, in the population. And that's what's healthiest for the population again 90% of the time until the biologists say hey we 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 need to take some does out of here right we're we're overpopulated let's reduce this a little bit but anyway that's a kind of a new thing on my radar robbie just recorded this incredible video that hasn't been released yet about the phrase trophy hunting um and uh, i'm pretty excited for it because if you if someone there's kind of this movement of over exaggerating yourself as a meat hunter. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, yeah. like I'm only a meat hunter. So literally if a fawn walks out in front of you, you're dropping it opening morning at sunup. Right. 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 No. Nah, I hope not. <laughs> I hope that's not, I hope that's not the case. Cause that's not good. Um, and just bashing people for, you know, Oh, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, there's guys that don't in, in states where you can only shoot one deer. That's us. There's guys that there, there are guys that go four five, six years without taking anything out of the population. Right. Um, obviously they're not just meat hunters or they, you know, yeah. they suck at it. If, if they are, they're not, they're not <laughs> right. doing a great job. Um, they're, they're trophy hunters, but they're also every year putting money into conservation and taking nothing out of the herd. Right. Right. Now I'm not saying that's the way it should be either. I'm, you know, 
I 100% go to Kansas every year as a meat hunter. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you, if there's a buck at 200 yards and there's a doe at 40 yards and I'm bow hunting, mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll let that doe go by because I want to get at the buck. Right. But on the last day, you know, as long as it's as long as it's an adult animal, it's kind of if it's brown, it's down thing because I'm filling the freezer. Right. Um, but I drew a rifle tag in in I didn't draw a rifle tag. I bought a rifle voucher in Colorado this year to hunt some land. Um and passed up a lot of bucks. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of bucks. Not not that many because I still tagged out on the evening of the first day, but I saw a lot of bucks that I didn't shoot yeah. until I saw one that I wanted because I wanted to shoot a big mature male. Right. Right. I, it's, I, I hate this judgment, especially internally, but the biggest thing that drives me nuts is that I'm not giving up on the word trophy hunter. I, I am in fact a trophy hunter. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the biggest trophy is memory. The second biggest right. trophy is meat, but absolutely I have animals on the walls to, to kind of be a memento of that yeah. experience. Um, and absolutely, sometimes when I go out, I'm looking for big horns, and other times I'm looking to fill the freezer. And and uh, we we've got to stop uh, changing our terminology because of pressure, and instead right. give them the knowledge of what the terminology actually means. I think. Yeah. Yep. I mean, one of the things that I that I do is after I get a bear, I typically will make a big pot of chili. And I give it to all of my non-hunting friends. <laughs> and, it, and in like my own little rationale, it's like the next time we have to fight for our hunting rights, I want these people to understand that it tastes delicious. Right. And, and then it's coming from me and they trust me. I'm not this big, big bad guy that's out there killing, you know, poor little cubs or poor little fawns that there's a conservation effort behind it and that the meat doesn't go to waste and that they've eaten the meat and they know it's delicious. And so basically you're saying, if you don't vote to support bear hunting, I'm not giving you any damn chili anymore. Exactly what I say. Right. Right. That's so solid. I, I hand over that jar and I say, okay, this is your vote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm bribing your yeah. vote right here. I'm, bri- I'm, bribing, I'm bribing your vote. That's a, that's almost as good a story as starting hunting as a jab at your anti-hunting boyfriend. Right? That was, that's, the, that's the winning story so far. What, uh, what do you got? What do you think's worth discussing here in the last few minutes? What's going on with you that you want to talk about? I don't know. I mean, I came off my grand slam, so now I'm I'm just sort of cruising. I don't know right? what to do next. I've shot everything. <laughs> <laughs> you shot everything in Maine. I have, yes. I would There's love that. I mean, I think everybody, every hunter, I think, um, you know, has this dream of going after a sheep. Um, but we'll see. I would love to get an elk, you know, who knows? Cool. Cool. Great conversation, Aaron. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Um, tell me your, uh, Instagram handle if folks want to know more or your, you your website is, uh, so my website is and a strong cup of coffee.com. Cause when you're up in a tree stand at 5am, you got to have the coffee. Um, and sales service, unless the deer's there in about 30 minutes for that's me. True. That's true. I'm, 
I'm I'm the guy that gets that got yelled at in deer camp because about 45 minutes after sunup, I was walking around, <laughs> and every everyone's mad at me, and I'm like, I'm spotting stalking, and they're like, No, you're not. You're, I am not telling you, especially in the Midwest, the best way to be successful whitetail hunting in 99% of the Midwest is to sit your ass in a tree stand for. That's the best way. It's yeah. the best way. Yep. It's way better than the way I do it. I spot and stalk them. It doesn't work worth a shit. But I, I can't do it. I'm not grown up enough to sit for six hours in a tree stand unless unless I have cell service and I can play video games or something on my phone. Right. Then I then I can pull it off. And probably I've missed multiple opportunities at deer because, you know, I was battling a galactic war on my phone or something and a deer just walked right past and I didn't even notice it. I, okay. I, I get all of that. I'm wrong. I, I'm doing it wrong, but man, uh, am I much better at walking around the mountains, failing miserably as well, but I'm happier. Right. I cannot walk. Like I am no, I, I remember when we first, when I first started hunting with my dad, I had my gun, my 30 out six weighs seven and a half pounds. And I remember it was snowing. We were going down a tote road. We had just split up. There was a tree down. And so I bent down to go up and over. And as I pop back up, I'm looking at two doe. And then I was like, oh, look, deer. And they just, they, they blew and ran. And it, like, right. I just, I don't have the quickness to be able, I need that 10 second freak out. So if I'm up in a tree, I can be like, oh my God, there's a deer. And then I can right. be like, okay, I need to kill the deer. Right. Compose yourself. Right. right. Whereas if I'm on the ground, I'm like, oh, look, there's a deer. <laughs> and then they're I like, don't... I'm getting the hell out of here. And they're gone. I don't really, uh, I wouldn't claim that I'm good at either or better at one. I'm just telling you that I get like the Jimmy legs and, and I get restless leg syndrome in a tree stand. I'm not that great at walking either. Like I'm not in very good shape. I'm not some sheep hunter, you know, mountain ops, Cam Haynes guy. I'm kind of fat, but it, it, uh, it, I'm just happier. I'll uh, honestly sit down for 15 minutes, you know, and you can just change it, right? Like instead of instead of backcountry hunting, I'm still hunting all of a sudden, right? But it just means that I sit down because I'm tired of walking for a little while. You know, it doesn't. I'm not really. Uh, I'm not very hardcore about any of it, honestly. But I get the backpack that has like a blanket and snacks and water. And, oh yeah, yeah, snivel gear, out, basically. Right. Yeah. It takes me longer to get all the stuff to be comfortable while I'm sitting in the cold out of my pack than I end up sitting for. <laughs> it's just, just a constant process of take the puffy layer off, walk for an hour, sit down for 10 minutes, put the entire puffy layer back on because I got cold, get back up. It's really what I do. It's why I don't kill much, honestly. <laughs> it, uh, it's, just a, it's just a battle to stay comfortable and not be bored. Yeah. That's not entirely true, but yeah. it's kind of true. We love it. That's why we do it year after year. Yeah, yeah. Some some ridiculous glutton for it. I absolutely love it. Aaron, thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Check out her stuff. She's incredible content on andastrongcupofcoffee.com. Um, and uh, thanks for all your help trying to make Robbie and I seem quasi-organized. We're close. We'll get there. Nah. is going to be a whole new year. Yeah, it may be. We'll get better, but yeah. we'll never get there. That don't don't set some kind of like into the race goal because that's not going to happen. It's yeah. just like a constant struggle of. We're going to constantly says, improve. 
Right, right. Forever. That's our yeah. goal. We're yeah. never going to get good at it. We're okay. just going to get better. Yeah, every time. Cool. Thanks, Aaron. Absolutely. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.